Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware, brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Tuesday, November 12th, 2019. I'm M. Lloyd Johnson, moderator of the Alliance Party After Dark, and this evening we're talking with Debbie Lynn Molyneux, co-founder and executive director of the Bridge Alliance. The Bridge Alliance was founded on the concept that we can accomplish much more together than we could on our own. And it asks its uh, member organizations, of which there are over 80, to uh, act according to this philosophy. Debbie Lynn came from a conservative um, agriculture community where she started her career as a small business owner. She uh, worked with community businesses to promote and grow their own operations uh, through both uh, advertising and marketing. And uh, after interacting with other um, women business leaders, engaging them, uh, Debbie Lynn was inspired to become more active in the political process. Uh, her own uh, personal experiences, uh, both as a small business owner, um, a local candidate for office, and an elected president of a national organization, have all given her uh, great insight into the um, challenges facing citizens who want to get involved, and, and as well as uh, organizations that want to um, make as much of an impact as they possibly can. In addition to her uh, work at the Bridge Alliance, Debbie uh, continues to bring her insight to entities um, seeking to grow their participation and uh, effectiveness. Uh, she developed and serves as a managing partner of um, Living Room Conversations as an advisor to allsides.com and uh, to the Oregon-based Ingenuity Innovation Center. She was um, elected uh, in the past as uh, president of... Um, Coffee Party USA, which is actually where I know her from. Uh, we met, well, over the phone about six years ago, uh, which is uh, a nonpartisan movement working to restore the principles and spirit of uh, American representative democracy. So it's not a, a, a true political party. It's, uh, it's just a group of people getting together on um, some positive principles. Debbie Lynn is um, a trained mentor, a coach, very uh, well-versed in uh, guiding organizations in new ways they can bring out hidden talents of, of their staff and uh, of their volunteers to make everybody more um, valuable to the organization. Today, we're going to be covering civility. It's, it's a very important principle, and it's missing in both major political parties by and large. Uh, the good news is it, it doesn't have to be this way. As Alliance Party members, uh, we'll reach across the divides, working with positive people both inside and outside of our party. So, um, Debbie Lynn, uh, thank you so much for your time, and uh, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark. <laughs> Great. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Uh, we'll start, I, I guess, where um, I originally knew you from. You, uh, I, I think you, you pretty much started your career on a national level in, in the coffee party, and you can correct me if that's wrong, but what was your role in the coffee party, and, and how did you grow from it? What were your experiences in it that moved you to... Um, really build this concept of civility out and just engage people. Well, and I, and I think, um, so coffee party was my second, uh, national level job. The first one being co-founding and, and doing the, the pilot project, if you will, of living room conversations, but it led right into coffee party and this desire for, you know, sitting down over a cup of coffee and talking about what we have in common and where we have differences and respecting and honoring one another. But I think it's really important to kind of take half a step back and talk about what civility is and what it is not. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, because there's a lot of, of pushback right now around the idea of civility. And I know that when 
Coffee Party was forming and part of what Living Room Conversations does is they're trying to help people connect uh, on a level. And there's something about uh, norms, social norms, if you will, of meeting people uh, in a way that is not tension-free, but, but polite and respectful that is sometimes required for us to connect as human beings, for us to share that uh, mutual respect and empathy for the situation of another. But oftentimes we're finding these days that civility is actually being turned around and used as a bludgeon for people who are righteously angry and in a way it's used as a tool to tell them to shut up instead of to actually listening to grievances that are valid. And just because someone is angry doesn't mean that they're being uncivil. It means there's an injustice that needs to be addressed. And so when we're talking about civility, I want to be really clear that the civility that I talk about is that search for justice and an an addressing of grievances in a way that is respectful and connecting and restoring our relationships with one another. I I guess that's something that we don't typically think about. So what do you think some of the misconceptions are that people have about civility? What do you think a lot of people think it is, which makes them just decide to not be civil or maybe not engage? Well, I think, I think where we're running into trouble around civility these days is there's a, there's a lot of injustice in the world right now. And there's a lot of folks who have been on the, on the receiving end, if you will, of injustice in our society and culture. And civility, when, when, they hear the word civility, they hear, be happy with what you have, sit down, shut up and go away. I don't want, I don't want there to be tension because I don't want to call, I don't want to have to change my ways, or I don't want to have to look at how you have been hurt, or I don't want to look at, you know, um, what's been happening systemically for 400 years. So there's a way that, that people are using civility these days as a, shield or deflection from addressing the injustice. And it's only when we, when we address that tension uh, around injustice that we can truly connect with each other. And, and that is, you know, civil society is dependent upon rules and norms where there is mutual respect and give and take. There has not been civil society for all of America for the last 400 years. There's been civil society for some of us. Do you care to elaborate on that? Because the notion that um, civility uh, hasn't existed in in America really, there's that whole good old days adage, but really it's it's probably different than that. Um, so could, could you uh, elaborate um, on the history of civility in the United States or lack thereof? Or well, I, I think that's above my pay grade, but I can't, what I can say um is that there that civil society has has been a privilege for most of us and with and and we can't really talk about civility without talking about uh, systemic racism in our country and and to say that we have systemic racism is to admit that there have been injustices so in in kind of you know backing it up half a step in in looking at where civility exists and and hasn't been allowed to exist, or I should say where civil society has existed and not been allowed to exist. That idea of mutual respect and social norms 
is on the table right now for us to talk about how our social contract as a nation evolves so that there is more civil society available to all of us rather than just to the privileged who could afford it. So moving forward a little bit, but not into the uh, the future yet, as far as where do we go from here, uh, just uh, taking a, a little step back, I, I guess I got the um, the chronology uh, mixed up. I, I thought your entrance into the coffee party uh, occurred before living room conversations. So if you started in the living room conversations, what exactly was that? And where does that stand today? <laughs> I can hardly keep my own timeline straight, Lloyd. So don't worry about that one. All right. Um, <laughs> And they were only about a year apart. But I was literally like sitting in the driveway at a friend's house when Joan Blades, the co-founder of Move On, called. And she said, I have this idea. I want a way for people to be able to connect with each other in a private small group setting. And and I think it's, you know, I think it's something called living room conversations. And, and I don't remember how the name came about, but it, it came about in a fairly in fairly short order. And, and it was just this really, you know, wonderful kind of year long process, if you will, to develop a, a guide that people could do it yourself on different, you know, to talk about difficult conversations or difficult topics or issues with people with that they disagree with and, and doing it in a way that left them feeling more connected and respectful towards each other at the end of the conversation. And so as we, as we kind of wound down that pilot project, I stepped back from living room conversations and stepped into coffee party to help coffee party with some of their early startup challenges. And, and so that's Michael, where we, we first met was when I was just coming in. And then after I had worked with coffee party for, for a while, I went back to living room conversations and helped spread that out uh, to become some of the national level work that's going on there today. On um, both of those points, what are the um, websites for Living Room Conversations and um, the Coffee Party? Sure. So, yeah. So Coffee Party is coffeepartyusa.com or .org, either one. And on Facebook, it's Coffee Party USA uh, as their moniker. So definitely check them out. There's about 12 different editors who all post different points of view and invite uh invite respectful conversation through the comment threads on on Facebook. And then Living Room Conversations is livingroomconversations.org. And uh, when you go onto their website, they have a, on their menu bar, they'll have a getting started guide and everything. So by, by all means, look at that. But if you click on the topics uh, link from the navigation bar, they have over 100 guides, self-facilitated guides that you can use, anyone can use in their own home, at school, in dorm rooms, wherever people gather uh, on different topics that you might care about. And it's a really amazing tool. Uh, what we found most about living room conversations was if you do it on a, on a school night or a work night, you know, when you have to go to work the next day, you have to kick people out because they get so enraptured in the connections that happen over this simple conversation that people don't want to go home. They want to stay in that kind of yummy space. <laughs> so uh, Debbie Lynn, could you give us um, maybe a particular experience that was unique in the living room conversations that'll help us kind of see what it was about and um, what your role in it was? 
Uh, sure. And, uh, and, and that other people are continuing on in those roles. You know, uh, there's a faith community right now in Boise, Idaho, uh, that they declared 2019 was going to be their year of the campfire. And they did this whole sermon at the beginning of the year uh, talking about the different symbology of the campfire and how, you know, when you're out in the wilderness, it's a, a beacon of warmth and safety. And we share stories and have camaraderie around campfires. Uh, sometimes we do them in our backyards in the suburbs where we have a little fire pit and people gather. And so they use this whole analogy of using of campfires of how to gather people in and, and in their faith, you know, bringing in people to the church is something that they were looking to do because as uh, many churches have had a declining membership in the re in recent years. And then they told the story about Joan Blades coming to Boise, Idaho. She was promoting a film that she's in and the, uh, with Mark Meckler from the Tea Party. And, and in, the, in this meeting with Joan, this pastor recounts her talking about how she really loves peace and helping people connect. And then she looked at him and she says, and I hear you church people are really good at this. Oh, and wow. it kind of took him aback. And he was like, well, yeah, we used to be. And that kind of helped set that church on a, this path towards this campfire. And so what they did was they host a monthly event. First of all, they don't have pews in their church. They have round tables. Hmm. And they started hosting a monthly living room conversation where their congregation would come in and they would talk about a different issue every month. And most recently, they decided to host a conversation about abortion. Now, Joan and I are, are pro-choice and we're like, you know, we've stayed away from the abortion issue because it's really, you know, kind of nobody's going to change their mind. But here this church in Boise decided to take it on and talk about abortion. And folks at the end of that living room conversation were saying things like, I never told anybody that I'd had an abortion until today because I always felt judged and, and harmed by what people would think of me. And other people would say, I never really thought about why uh, why women might choose an abortion over having a child. And so there was like this whole opening and not to mention that they felt shame for having been so judgmental. And, and so, you know, this is coming through my more pro-choice lens, but they wrote a whole article about what happened in their church and the healing that happened between the people of the church over a living room conversation about a really hot topic. And I can send you the link uh, to that later if you want to post it with the podcast. Oh, that's, that's incredible. So it, it seems like the it seems like the living room conversations really actually started um, your journey as far as uh, building up um, th this whole concept of civility and getting people to talk. How did that move into the coffee party, and uh, what were you able to accomplish there? And how was it different than the living room conversations? Yeah, so coffee party, um, you know, had this beautiful vision of getting together over a cup of coffee and talking about our differences. It wasn't formatted, you know, it didn't require a, a conversation guide. It wasn't issue specific. It was really a bunch of people across the country who were reacting to the vitriol of the Tea Party who wanted to do something else, something different than what the Tea Party was doing. And, uh, and so there was chapters that popped up all around the country, you know, almost overnight. It was one of the first Facebook phenomena that happened. And 
and grew and and grew really fast. And so our our work there was to support was to provide some infrastructure and support. Uh, and we ended up, I would say, not succeeding really well at doing all of that infrastructure and support. But we did have an event in D.C. in October of 2011 that that brought about 500 people to a, to the event where we all said enough is enough to Congress. And we and people shared their stories about how bad policy was impacting their lives um, and, and built a, a band of camaraderie, if you will, uh, from which, you know, the, the coffee party still exists today. So your experience with these uh, 500, that's, uh, I, I know a little bit of the background on this, but um, tell people why that's significant. Yeah, so in October of 2011, when we gathered for the Enough is Enough rally in Washington, D.C., we had planned for thousands of people to come to this event. And each, everybody, we had about a 12-hour program of people giving their 30 or 60-second story about what happened to them as a result of bad legislation from Congress. We happened to pick a day that a nor'easter blew through Washington, D.C., and so for those of you on the East Coast, you know what this is. It's basically we had a blizzard. And so through that blizzard, about 500 hardy souls showed up. And we, in the spirit of our founding fathers, adjourned to a pub <laughs> where, where we continued the program. That's great. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and rallied as many people from the Capitol building, you know, two blocks away to where the pub was. And it, it really kind of cemented, if you will, this sense of no matter the hardship that we must endure together, there are good people of goodwill that are willing to step in and do the work that it takes to make our country um, realize the vision that the founders had. And, that, and that's still the work, you know, that has cemented in me the work that I do today with Bridgelands. You've been listening to an interview with Debbie Lynn Molyneux, co-founder and executive director of the Bridge Alliance. We'll be back after a short break. The two-party system that we've got is broken. The choices are awful. All we see is lies, cheating, deceit. You could say it about both parties. Neither one really stands for anything except acquiring and exercising power. The idea was to give the power to the people or the people who've given the power away. And that's where the system broke. government and our political system was designed to be malleable, you know, not rigid, not ossified, not always gridlock. Absolute power does corrupt, absolutely, and that's why the founders set the system up to avoid having concentrated power in the executive and in the national branch. The founding documents are the best, it's the best government so far that we've come up with. Um, we're just not doing it. You know, it's tribalism, basically. If if you're not on my tribe, then you're a bad person. You could say the sky is blue, and I'm going to say, no, it's green. I think it's right out of a 1930s era playbook where if you can divide people, make them feel like something's being taken from them, probably pays well for them to make sure that everybody's divided because, in essence, it keeps them in office, it keeps them in power, it keeps them employed. The amount of money that's involved in politics, it is crazy. Ben Obama's a smart guy, but not even he could, uh, he wasn't going to do it either. And I was like, okay, that's it. If he can't do it, it's not going to happen because uh, that's when I knew that the, uh, the lobbyists and the corporate interests, uh, the outside private interests that really have a hand in making sure that our political system doesn't work, 
uh, I knew that they had won and I said, okay, third party is the way to go. What I think we're trying to do here is, is to make systemic change. Yeah, we need the right people, but there's not any one person, any one charismatic personality that's going to bring about the change that we so desperately need in this country. Our biggest goals are election reform, knock down those barriers that have been built in the ballot access game by the state governments, fixing the dark money, getting good health care out there. We need more women, we need more minorities, we need more occupations and backgrounds. We don't have set paradigms and beliefs. We just want to solve problems. So we're open books. We're data sensitive. We want data. And we want to solve solutions that help the most people. Let's forget about where we disagree. Let's start with where do we agree? Let facts be facts and let truth be truth and afford people the opportunity to go and find the information they need. We require term limits of all of our candidates. Now, if you have more choices and competition, uh, just like any free market enterprise, competition is going to give you a better product. Focus on innovation and really learning on a local level. Free press and educating people in an unbiased way. Protecting and, and controlling the deficit. Respect and courtesy. Honesty through transparency. Openness and transparency. Transparency. I think that's incredibly important uh, in a number of areas, but especially in finances, so that voters can connect the dots. We want to leave this place in a better condition than we left it for the next generations, pure and simple. Not just my children, all our American kids. We need to educate every single individual in this country. So every individual has tools they need to succeed in life. Ultimately, that's what we're doing this for, what we can help the American people be, not what we say they can be, but what they want to be, and we'll get our party to that point. We're supposed to help each other rise up, enlighten each other, and start by being civil and respecting other people's opinions. There's nobody left. We have to do it. There's right and there's wrong. <laughs> nobody owns it. You know, JFK, I believe, was quoted as saying something to the effect of, we don't need to look for the Republican answer or the Democratic answer, we need to look for the correct answer. And that's the types of conversations we're not having. As a people, are we doing what we should be doing? We're back. We're talking with Debbie Lynn Molyneux, co-founder and executive director of the Bridge Alliance. So uh, let's, if we could, uh, David Lynn, go ahead and pick up where we left off. Um, you're pretty well known for your work in the uh, Bridge Alliance. Um, could you uh, tell us a little bit about what that is and um, what you started to accomplish there? Sure. Um, so Bridge Alliance is a network of nearly 100 organizations, and they all are doing some aspect of work strengthening democracy in our country. Uh, Bridge Alliance provides convenings and meetings and intersections to help them collaborate with each other better. And one of the things that we've done is we've created a directory called the Democracy Field Overview. And this kind of really helps people to see the democracy ecosystem as a whole and understand their role or figure out where they want to participate in it. So uh, inside the Democracy Field Overview, we broke out the work of our members into three major sectors of work. Those are civic engagement, campaigns and elections reform, governance and policymaking. And then inside each one of those sectors, there are 10 to 12 different more specialized segments of work. And they choose, normally uh, organizations will choose one of two approaches. They'll either work on something that's structural or systemic, like building a better voter information app, uh, the All Sides website, 
uh, you mentioned all sides in my bio, uh, they have a, a media website. So those are kind of like the widgets and tools and systems through which we engage in our democracy and our uh, representative democracy. And then the other approach is a behavioral approach, and that's trying to get the humans trained or skill, build up their skills or take action to do the right things so the systems remain healthy. And this is all towards this idea of building um, a constituency in our country that demands healthy self-governance. I use the words republic, representative democracy, democracy, and healthy self-governance interchangeably because it's all we're all meaning the same thing, but we get sometimes hung up in our language. Um, and so that's a little bit about uh, where the Alliance Party kind of fits into all of this is working, I think, a lot both with the campaigns and elections reformers and also, you know, the civic engagement piece. And so in, with this idea of like, let's have people who run for office in a system that's fair with a respectful platform that allows for these tensions without using civility as a cudgel, then you know we have a healthy self-governance system and humans doing the right things to help us get where we want to go. Can you um, give us some illustrations from particular events where uh, particularly with the, the Bridge Alliance, you successfully interjected civility and, and communication? I don't, the thing with Bridge Alliance is I don't really have to interject civility uh, in there because it's one of our, you know, the four principles that all members agree to. And, uh, and we, we prefer to use the, the language respect to civility because of the, you know, what we talked about earlier. Um, but it, but as far as like the communication, you know, when I was at the Unrig Summit earlier this year, and we partnered with the nonpartisan reformers group, of whom I serve on their board, just as a disclaimer. Uh, but we we partnered with them, and we hosted a group of campaigns and elections reformers, and we talked about like how are we working on you know specific ballot measures or uh, redistricting in specific areas. How might that be of service to the more issue-oriented engagement strategies that are happening at local levels? So we're, we're providing thinking and places to think together and then opportunities and relationships uh, for people to, to actually do that collaboration more than they have in the past. Uh, and that takes a lot of increased uh, and improved communication and a lot of um, dissecting what we mean with our language. What what exactly was covered, um, or what are a few of the things that were covered at the Unrig Summit? Well, the, the Unrig Summit itself is all about uh, campaign and election reform. So, you know, we were in the room where there was a, uh, so the meeting that we hosted was an adjunct to the Unrig Summit itself. But um, we have members in the campaigns and elections reform group who are looking at uh, vote at home, the, the mail-in ballots as a way to increase voter participation. We have people who are working on college campuses trying to get respectful dialogue. It's a group called Bridge USA, encouraging young people at the colleges where there's a lot of... Uh, uh, on college campuses, there's a lot of dissension right now and a disallowing of multiple perspectives. And so Bridge USA is a, as a group is trying to work on that issue on college campuses. 
So we're talking here with you know the, the mail at home people or the vote at home folks, the Bridge USA uh, young people, and then we've got the uh, voter registration folks, the redistricting and anti-gerrymandering group, the ranked choice voting, the, the approval voting folks. And they're all coming into this place of like, how do we work together for this larger whole? We all have our own role to play within this democracy ecosystem, but it's work doing it in a coordinated and collaborative way that's going to make an impact. And that's, we're still in the midst of figuring all that out. Uh, uh, Debbie Lynn, what are some of the upcoming projects that you're doing with your members at the Bridge Alliance? Yeah, I'm so glad that you asked me that, Lloyd. Uh, we just two weeks ago had our mem- our second annual members summit. And I'm going to describe that a little bit and then answer your question. So at the summit, we uh, invited and sponsored people who are not normally in the room when we talk about representative democracy or healthy self-governance. Typically, our usual suspects, if you will, are, are largely older, white, and, and progressive leaning. So we made a concerted effort to get into the room people who are more conservative in their ideology, they're faith-based, they're uh, people of color, they're from rural America, they're young. And in this diverse room of 200 people, we set forth a new project to build out a grassroots coalition to partner with the Bridge Alliance members so that we're not going to pretend we're going to change the rules of democracy in an all-white setting. We need to actually look at changing the rules within a diverse group because that's what our country is. We are a multicultural, pluralistic country, and unless we engage with each other in that way and practice together, uh, we're not going to renew the social contract in a way that gets back to this justice piece that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. Right. Justice won't be present unless all the voices are heard. So this upcoming project of expanding um, expanding the Bridge Alliance to include folks who are normally left out, and they're often left out because they're working at a hyper-local level and they don't have a huge budget. And we're that's the project I'm most excited about right now is figuring out how to include all the voices. So uh, what what could um, we just as the Alliance Party do to uh, in- include more voices? What would be a way, um, no real pun intended, of a, of a good bridge between the Alliance Party and the uh, Bridge Alliance? <laughs> I had to say it. I had to say it. I, I know. Said- I know. <laughs> let's, let's bridge the Alliance here. Um, <laughs> So I, th- I think the, for the Alliance Party, uh, staying connected with uh, some of our of the members, probably especially in the elections campaign and elections reformers group, and I know that the Alliance Party is already involved with a lot of them. But I would I would say you know lending a hand to uh, Unite America, who's trying to get a lot of moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats elected people to to kind of bring both of the mainstream parties back from the extreme. And, and partnering with uh, and getting more independents elected. Given the systemic challenges right now that independent candidates face, a lot of, of the work of our members is trying to make the system more accessible to diff- somebody other than the Democrats and Republicans. The Democrat and Republican parties have um, are, are made up of people who have, be, have been seduced, if you will, or by the machinery, the system itself of the parties, 
has become an obstacle to healthy self-governance in our country, and we're, and we're seeing that now. There's reasons why our parties have developed the way they have. At the same time, just like monopolies grow in industry, our political parties have become a monopolizing industry in politics, and I think that's unhealthy for us all. We need to look at how do we make politics more accessible to more people because the time of the oligarchs is over. So with the so uh, Debbie Lynn with the challenge of social media whether it be Twitter or Facebook or uh, Google YouTube videos um how do you recommend or, or how, how have you noticed would be the best way to to use those tools so um they don't work against civility is is it possible or or what are your thoughts on um how social media and civility work together or should work together or could work together. It kind of gets down to us. I mean, this gets into, you know, some of the, the behavioral skills building that we need to have as individuals, because yes, the, the platforms in order to monetize, you know, the social media platforms in order to monetize and make a return on their shareholder, they build in addictive tendencies or they, they prey upon the addictive tendencies of us humans. But us humans still have the ability and I would say the obligation and responsibility to decide if we're going to use these tools in a healthy way or in an unhealthy way. And to the extent that we can use them in a healthy way, they're good. And they, I, I mean, I keep in touch with people I would not be in touch with today were it not for Facebook. And... But I also limit my access to the platform and I, and I turn off and block people who are persistently disrespectful and trying to engage in, in hate speech or um, demeaning, demeaning comments towards others. I just simply don't allow it on my feed. And that's what I personally can do. And if everybody did that, they would get the message pretty fast. So are, so are you saying sometimes you, you don't... Be- want to listen to all the voices that are out there? I'm saying I, I don't feel obligated to listen to the voices that are denigrating or demeaning of others. Okay. If I can, if I'm in the right place, I can engage with them to see if there's a human, you know, making, making sure number one, it's not a bot because there's a lot of bots out there. Um, but to reach the human on the other side of that, but it takes a lot of training and there's some specialists who provide training for that. Um, and there's more research being done on it all, all the time. I'm not that skilled that I can do it regularly without harming myself. And I feel like if we're throwing a better party and having a lot more fun, people are going to stop the behavior too. The idea of being civil and um, cutting a voice out, would you say then, are, are you cutting out voices that are not civil in order to build civility? I think... I'm cutting out the, the the people who see themselves as superior and others as subhumans because in, they're, they're not always reachable. And it's a more protective stance, if you will, of the people who want to be respectful of each other. And it's not that it's a forever ban. It's just a, we need to talk offline so that these people are not harmed by your rhetoric. That's That's insightful. I wouldn't have known how to do that. So um, your experience that, that, that you bring, um, that's going to be, well, quite a, quite a bit more than a lot of us. Um, it's just really helpful. So thank you. 
Yeah, well, don't bang your head against the wall, Lloyd. I mean, it's just not worth it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if there's a time when you feel really strong and you want to experiment, think of it as an experiment, you know, try a few things. You know, a little empathy goes a long way, but do it in a one-on-one -on -one setting, not in a public setting, because then, you know, they've got a lot more to defend. So are you saying when somebody's defending a, a, a point of view that's different than yours and it's a public uh, setting that there's more of a chance that they could feel humiliated if if um, they... They're going to dig in and entrench with their own view for pride. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a, a whole lot of sense because I've seen that on Twitter and I've been guilty of it on Twitter. Um <clears throat> And sometimes I'll, I'll take something from your playbook and say, you have a good point. Um, tried to learn a little, but, uh, well, I, I, I guess uh, listening to you, I, I can see that there's probably a lot of work. Uh, well, I myself can do and, and, uh, probably a lot of us listening. So how can political opponents be civil to each other? Is there something we're missing in America? There, well, there is. And, and part of it is just a, a sign of our times right now. Um, as our old social contract has broken down, and that's the social contract, you know, where we had, you know, reason debate or we had, uh, you know, the the loyal opponent kind of mentality. Our norms right now are such that anything goes and winner takes all. So one of the things that's missing um, from our political discourse is this sense of, um, I, I would call it a North Star that we have a common shared humanity and that when winning is not everything. We actually need to think about what is it that we're winning for? What do we want power for? What do we want money for? And if that, if those answers are all about our individual ego or comfort, it's not the North star. It's not the new social contract. It's just selfish. And I'm all for taking care of ourselves, don't get me wrong. But there has to be a, um, a balance between our individual and our community responsibility that balances out for the good of all, for the benefit of all. And once we figure that out, uh, our, we'll have a new social contract in, in this country and it will rise up to the level of, of political campaigns again where we argue the facts and we don't denigrate each other. We don't call names. We really uh, look out for the best, for the most. So wrapping up as, as far as some tools so we can do that, what are the um, the URLs, the, the web addresses for uh, the organizations that you work with? Yeah, people, people are welcome to check out our website. It's bridgealliance.us. On there, there's a big box in the middle that'll say Alliance Members, and you can click on there. Um, and there's a couple of ways to sort through it, either by category of work that people do. You can look at it on a state by state level to see who's working in your state. Uh, and then, you know, sign up, connect, connect with us, connect with our members. We have a weekly update that kind of is a 30 second or 60 second read on the latest news that's happening. And we look forward to uh, uh, growing, growing out the supporters and making this country what it should be. Debbie Lynn, I just want to thank you once again so much for coming onto our show. You really have a lot to offer. You've got great experience, um, a whole lot of knowledge, really a whole lot of wisdom from your experience because you've really gotten the thick of it. So uh, I really want to thank you. And we just want to thank you for coming on this evening. 
Well, thank you for, for asking the right questions and, and giving me an opportunity to share and, and grow the movement. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. And we look forward to, to working together in all the positive ways that we can. And uh, to my listeners, uh, we've been talking again with uh, Debbie Lynn Molyneux, co-founder and executive director of the Bridge Alliance. And if you'd like to get more information again on the Bridge Alliance, once again, their website is www.bridgealliance.us. And that's B-R-I-D-G-E-A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E. So thank you again, Debbie Lynn, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please um, consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week, we'll bring you uh, interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on uh, iTunes, uh, Google, or um, Spotify. All content for this podcast is uh, copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to help sponsor this podcast directly, get in touch with us through our website at theallianceparty.com. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website again at theallianceparty.com. Drop in, see what we're all about, and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or a blog or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, I, once again, am M. Lloyd Johnson, your moderator for the Alliance Party After Dark. And on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe and be aware.